Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Lloyd Newcastle Mini and BMW. For the latest offers and to browse their used car stock, go to lloydmotorgroup.com. Now, let's get on with the show. This is a uh, Everything is Black and White special podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have uh, Paul Ferris with us, who's uh, written, I would say, probably the, the book of the year if you're a Newcastle United fan or if you're not a Newcastle United fan called uh, The Boy on the Shed. Um, we, we received this book uh, a couple of weeks before it came out uh, with a note from one of the publishers which said this is one of the most moving memoirs uh, you, you'll read all year and it proved to be that when I, when I read it. I, I mean, Paul, I, it must have been a heck of an emotional roller coaster writing this 80,000 words. It, well, it was because because it's. I, I started off by saying to people when I when I wrote it, I didn't intend to write a football book, and that's not what I that's not what I think I've written. However, eighteen years of my life were at Newcastle United, so clearly this mm. football comes into it quite a bit. But actually, the title of the book itself, "The Boy in the Shed," you know, it, it, it comes from 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 a child's fear of his mother passing away. So 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 I actually find myself in a, a very peculiar place at forty eight years old in a, in, in the Freeman Hospital in Newcastle. After having a heart attack myself, and and, and just this lost boy that, mm. that, that was coming into my head, and my mother had a heart attack when I was five years old, and I slept next to her, and I didn't know, but I didn't know when she came out that she was a bit less than she was, and and so when she sent me out to play, I would kind of go and climb up onto the old coal shed behind the house, and I would look in through the window, and, and I would think, well, I've been watching her in that day, I'm watching her, then God won't take her, and that was my thought process as a child, and it was just really following that child's progress as being quite a shy boy. Growing up in a very difficult time in Ireland, right through right through to leaving home at sixteen, which was a huge wrench mm. for someone like me to, to leave home when you to leave home for anybody at sixteen, but to leave home when you've got a mother who's ill and you're quite shy anyway is is quite a difficult thing to do. What I thought was really interesting about that process of it was, I think people see footballers, and they probably saw you. A lot of the fans who've watched you, they see footballers and think, you know, well he plays football. He's strong. what's really nice is the you've charted the journey from uh, your your childhood as well but you've also managed to kind of flesh out a lot of things that people wouldn't recognize that young footballers and 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 as a human being really there and and I think that's what what I found interesting really in the book was that was that the intention in some way the in- the intention genuinely was was to sit down because I was frightened I was frightened for the future and I was frightened about my mortality was to sit down and write just write a record for my family as the as to who who we were, who the, who the mum was, who the dad was, how, you know, my three kids are Geordies, you know, we speak with an Irish accent, how we all got here, and actually that 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 moment of leaving home at 16 has never left me, because actually, it was, uh, hopefully I'll describe it well in the book, that feeling of just walking through the doors in the, in the airport and the doors closing behind you, I can still feel the fear of, of knowing that everything you love and everything that you trust is behind those doors, mm-hmm. and you're walking into the unknown. Now, when I came to Newcastle in 1981, the city was a very different place. It seemed a very far away from, from my home. It seemed a long way away from Ireland. Um, the football club was pretty much in the doldrums, I would say. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't a spectacular football club to walk into. But the culture of football in those days, when you're the youngest of seven kids from an Irish family, to walk into the harshness of a professional football culture, it takes a big adjustment. I mean, a big adjustment, and I struggled, I struggled with that. But the football went well very early. And that was that. That was the the only thing that kept me here was the fact that the football went so well. Otherwise, I'd have gone home. Yeah. I'd have gone home a week after arriving. I, I mean, I love the bit. I, I don't want to ruin too much of the book, but but one of the most kind of emotional bits of the book is 
actually uh, hearing your mum, or re- where it feels like you're hearing your mum, because you go through this um, the bit of like, your mum talking to you about staying at Newcastle United and making it work, because I think that that is one of the strongest um, depictions of a, a mother's love for a son and a son's kind of reaction to her mum that I've ever read. Um, oh. And, you know, that must be, that, I mean, you know, as we said, I don't want to kind of ruin it for anybody too much, but that was that really came through in the book. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think in the book, and it, you, you, anyone who's ever, we all have a mother, and we all have that relationship. But I, but anyone who's ever had a relationship with someone that is maybe the closest relationship in your life, but has that fear that because of ill health or because of something that that may be taken away from you, there's a there's an urgency there. Certainly from the child's part, and my part, there's an urgency there. But actually, it took me to sit down to write the book almost to see the urgency in her part. And to see the bravery on her part to let to let me go at sixteen when she knew she wasn't well, but but and and she probably the last thing I mean I talk about in the book, she just sort of said you know give me a ring tonight and we'll see how you are, but then subsequently you find out that she's she's near the side of the doors and in the same state that you're in this side of the doors. So I think it's a it's a brave thing for for someone like her to do. But she was a, you know I tried to describe her in the book. She was she was I have met very few people. She was fragile in in physical health, but just a really strong. A strong woman who who actually some of the things she taught me then are still with me now and some of the things she taught me then I still I talk to my kids about mm. so I think that's a powerful powerful presence in your life really do you feel you did a justice in the book from what people have uh, said sometimes people ask me what the book's about and, and it's about many things but actually um I own I'm fast forwarding a little bit but actually when the football didn't happen for me and the thing that I feared most was her passing away and she passed away just at that time it was a bad time and, and so I find myself going from being a professional footballer to having you know no job no home and then my mother the thing I feared most happened um, I actually think the book is almost a long letter to her now to say actually I'm okay in the end okay. I, did, I, I, I did okay in the end because when I was talking to her at that time she was distressed about what was going to happen with me because she expected me to be a footballer yeah. And there I'm, there I'm, I'm, I'm down at the welfare offices in James, behind St James's Park, and I'm talking to you on the phone, and I, and I just think a lot of the book is almost, it's just something, it's, it's something almost to say to her, the things you taught me, and the, the way, the, the way that you wanted me to be, I tried my best to be. And I mean, I'm kind of making out here that it's, it's a really emotional and kind of gut wrenching book. It, it's not Angela Lash's. It's actually really funny oh, in a lot of places <laughs> as well. And I think that we, I, you know, I should really represent that in, in this podcast. Yeah, and I and I think sometimes I people ask me questions and I focus on the emotional side of it. And, and there certainly is an emotional side to it. But actually, I think any working class boy of any generation should connect to some of the stories in the book about my childhood. You know, any 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 family that's been brought up. Certainly, in anybody of, of that e- that era of the seventies or the eighties will understand some of the stories. You know, the, the, the toys at Christmas, or or the you know, the, the, the aborted boxing career, or the or, or you know, just just, just I, I tried I tried to depict um, not just not just the emotional side of my family, but actually my family was a very my daddy was a very funny man, my father was a funny man, my mother was a funny woman. So so there's the hopefully there's you know I put I put it in there as humour. You hope that people you know, people get the joke, but. Yeah. It's, oh, it, I mean, I think that there's a few bits in there, and I think one of the things that, that really came through, and, and will be, um, I think Newcastle fans will notice because he's a name, obviously everybody knows as well, is just how funny John Carver is. Yeah, and he was, a, he was, a, you know, he was the first person I spoke to when I arrived in, in Newcastle, and he was, a, he was a, yeah, he won't mind me saying this, but he was, a, you know, he was a rough around the edges, jolly lad who had a bit of a, you know, I, I think I described him in the. In, in the in the book as having a face that looked like he had a few fights or whatever. <laughs> but, but he kind of um, was just, it was a good, it was a good person for someone like me 
to befriend at that stage because actually he was friendly with all the other apprentices and it allowed someone who was you know maybe a bit shy like I was to sort of integrate to the group what was so the process of writing the book I mean when did you kind of start it was it something uh, that, that that's been you know in the in the in your mind for a long time no and actually the germ of the book was 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 without question lying in hospital being wired up and and I was in a ward and there were three other men in the ward and they were all conservatively 70 years old maybe 80 years old and one of them broke wind and then the other one broke wind and then he broke wind and then he did it again and it was like it was just like a concerto going around <laughs> and, and I thought well how am I here how has this happened and what's happened and, and then and genuinely that 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 boy that I'd forgotten about that that childhood that I'd kind of buried was just niggling away at me and and, and, I, and, I, and I sat down and thought okay I'll start to write this but I'll write it for I'll put my heart on a page and, I'll, and I'll, I'll put who I am on a page and if the only people that ever read it are my children and maybe they won't even read it until we're gone um, then it's worthwhile having because sometimes you know, one of the regrets about my mother and my, my father is you, you, you don't tend to ask you don't tend to ask the important questions until until it's too late so, so it, was, it wasn't for anybody else it was just a, a, a chronicle of pardon the pun it was a chronicle of my life um, and that's what I chose to do This is a really interesting thing I, I thought that came out of it that, that young men and I know it's mostly young men who probably read this uh, or, or listen to this or, or older men um, we've probably some of them got sons we've all got fathers we don't tend to, to tell our parents what we think about maybe we do with our mums but certainly with our dads and there's this kind of male thing that we don't really talk about our feelings and it's you know I actually when I, when I read it I thought because I, I said to my dad I was going to send it to him and I thought um, you know I should tell him a little bit more how important he is to me yeah, and, and I had that relationship with my dad. My dad, my relationship with my dad was was a loving one, but we never really got into the the real the real minutiae of how I felt about him, how he felt about me. Now the relationship with my mother was was really different because there was just an urgency there because of her ill health. So so you I describe it in the book. You have in these moments. I'm the youngest of seven kids. I think my relationship with my mother was no more special than my sisters or my brothers, but it was different because mm. she she had that fear that she was she wasn't going to be there. So she would impart this stuff. It was almost, you know, I tried to describe it in the book. You have these moments of, of, of quiet moments with her and she imparts this wisdom and she's trying to give you this, it's almost like she's trying to get it in and get it in yeah. before before she goes. And, yeah. and I think, I think um, so I don't have any regrets that I didn't tell her how I felt, but certainly with my dad, I have those regrets, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned the, the kind of, you know, the process of writing the book, which sounds actually as if it wasn't, um, you know, it sounds as if it was it was actually a really, a really nice uh, thing. Listen, it, when you've written something and it's so sort of heartfelt, were you nervous before it came out? How people were going to react? Was was there a bit of you thinking, you know, God, I've put all my heart and soul into it? Completely terrified, yeah. and I still am. Yeah, and I still am, and I, don't, I think I always will be. And I just uh, because you, you know, you your thoughts and your feelings and who you are and your hopes and your dreams are on that page, and and people can reject it, and they mm. can they can and they can not like it, and that's fine. But actually, more importantly. You can no longer go into a room with people and without them kind of knowing what your politics are, yeah. kind of knowing what your what your what your belief system is. And my belief system might not be the same as everybody else's. I understand that, but I thought if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna, I think if you're gonna write a memoir, you're gonna write something like that. You have an absolute duty to put who you are on the page. I think there's no mm. point. Why why would you write it otherwise? So so that's what I try to do. And then people can either decide whether they trust that narrator or they like that narrator or they like the story but don't like the narrator. It doesn't really matter. But all I wanted to do was just put on the page my journey. Do you feel like people um, kind of know a little bit more about you and your and your life really now? And, and, and I suppose a lot of this stuff will, 
you know, probably only very people very close to you would have kind of known. Yeah, them. I mean, I think some of the stuff's deeply personal that's in there, and I think I think uh, certainly my wife spoke to me a couple of times and said she's sort of people have come up to you and spoken to her and said, you know, I feel like I, I feel like I know you, and I feel like I've read your private diary at times, and and you know, there's it's it's you know, it's not it's not a, it's not just a chronology of my life. It's the, it's the it's the moments that shape shape my life and the moments that matter in my life and and, and what you feel about them, you know. You know, we talked about it not being an emotional book, so that it is an emotional book, but it's but it's also a funny book. But actually, the moment of losing a parent, you know, I tried to describe almost in a almost in a stream of consciousness how how I felt at that moment, what what that desolation felt like for a for a person, what that when your biggest fear happens, what does it feel like? Where does it where does it take you? And hopefully, I got something like that on the page, and that's what people connect to. And then hopefully there's a, a brighter side where you're actually finding yeah. your way from that dark period to try and find another place to be. How did you um, get those feelings so uh, so kind of accurately? Because a lot of those things happened 30, you know, 30, yeah. 40 years ago, but it feels like you're reading about it as if it happened now. Because they because they're so they're such strong emotions, and I think once you start to once you start to think back to them and put yourself back in that place, I actually think it's an, they just you almost they almost wash over you when you're trying. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but you. You're, you're writing and you can and I, when I'm writing those parts I can feel it I can feel I can feel the fear and I can feel I can feel the loneliness and I can f- and I'm, I'm trying to convey what I feel at that particular point you must have been exhausted writing it there must have been days where you came off yeah, writing yeah, and just thought some days some days was upsetting writing yeah. and, some, and some days some days it was you know it was, it was more lighthearted than others but some days you know, you think you, you sit after you've written a bit and you sit there and you think I'm not feeling very good and you think oh I know why because you've just yeah. you've just been you've just been regurgitating things that you thought you'd buried for years yeah yeah absolutely yeah I can, I can, I can well imagine it from, from reading the book I mean the stuff about Newcastle I think what something that I took away from it um, that we talk about a lot from when we cover Newcastle United and a lot of fans talk about it as well it's something that um, Rafa Benitez gets and, and other people who've mm. come in and you talk about the entertainers team coming in and getting it but you were a, somebody who came from Northern Ireland had no connection to Newcastle United before you came in but you felt a connection to Newcastle straight away and people like myself who, who've moved here mm. and love it and stay here feel that as well I mean can you kind of put that into yeah, words what it is that kind of very very hard to describe and I think I describe it in the book about the city just seeps into you and I think it does and, and, and I think very early for me the people. It was the people more than the city. I mean, I I I'd been to to Manchester as a boy, and I'd been to Bolton, and and and, I, and and just before I came to Newcastle, I'd been to Everton, and actually just a week before I came to Newcastle, I'd been to Everton, and been to Liverpool, and and everybody was saying to me, oh, you know, Manchester, Liverpool, big connection with the Irish people. You really feel connected there. But actually, it was Newcastle as a city that the people seemed more. It just seemed warmer. They seemed warmer, and, and then when they talk, they seem to sing to you when they're talking. Yeah. And, they and and then you look around the city, and you look above the even in the end of the eighties when I'd walk around, and you, you you look around the you know it's not a very pleasant place sometimes, but you look above the first the first level of the buildings, and you think, well, this is a beautiful city. This is actually yeah. a beautiful city, um, and and it just feels like a it's a city, but it's a, I've been saying before, it's a city, but it's a town. Mm-hmm. And I always say to people, the best football managers that I ever had at Newcastle United, and I had many. Were the ones that got the city as well as got the football club because it matters. It matters. Arthur Cox as a manager when I was the first manager, he got the city. Yeah. He knew what it meant. Yeah. You, you you can fast forward that to Kevin Keegan. He got the city. Bobby Robson got the city. And when they get the city, the football club is in tune with the city. It's a magical place, I think. Yeah, and it's it feels like unique in terms of that as well. That that actually, um, you know, you talk with Kevin Keegan, you see it with Rafa now. You, as you said, Bobby as well. Well, Rafa, but he is, gets it. You can tell. Yeah. He, I don't even know the man, but I can tell he gets the city. And and if you if you, 
we could criticise, and I say we as I'm talking as if I come from Newcastle, but, <laughs> but, we, but I've lived here a very long time. We could criticise sometimes by people outside for, for almost saying, oh, we're special and Newcastle's special. But actually, you can only speak from what you find and you can only speak from what you experience. And, and the football club feels so intimately linked to everything. Mm. To the, it's the heartbeat of the city. I mean, it's, it, 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 it dominates the city. So, so even now, when I'm not part of it, I'm still part of it. You can't ever get away from it. Yeah. Did you feel like coming in and playing for Newcastle United, I mean, the way that you describe it in the book, um, it meant everything to you. And, yeah. even, and even though you didn't, because of injury, you didn't, you didn't manage to quite get where you wanted to mm. be, playing for them full stop seems to be something that you were incredibly proud of, just scoring the goal against Bradford and, and all yeah. those things. I want to talk a bit. I mean, I, if I think back to... You know, I arrived here in November 1981 and I was just turned 16 and I'd left my second year of my O-level course at that point because I was the oldest in my year. That was November. If you fast forward to the May, it's not that far. So in the May, I played in the first team at Newcastle United and I go home in the June and my friends from school are sitting their O-levels. And, and that has a, that's a massive, massive uh, impact on your life. So you go home and see them and they say, well, you've made it now, you're a footballer. And I think, well, actually, no, I'm, I'm crying myself to sleep every night. That's what yeah. I do at night. But, I'm, but the football was going well. But then you move on a bit further on when you when you when you have the, the period where you think you're going to be a player. I was about 19 and I got a bit stronger and I got I got to understand how to be a player. To score a goal at St James's Park, I thought it was going to be the first of many. But actually, to have that to have that experience to score a goal at the Gallagher in St James's Park, I never forget it. And I, and I, I, I describe it in great detail in the book what it felt like because I, tra- I was trying to convey to the reader what what this what this feels like. So you can be in the moment yeah. with the person doing that at that particular moment. What does that feel like as a 19 year old boy? who's living in this city, to have that moment that he's dreaming of actually happen. And, and actually, hopefully I did convey it in the book. I, well, that's, that's up to the reader to decide. But, but yeah, I'm very proud. I'm very proud that, that I was able to play for Newcastle when I was younger. If you, if you asked me seriously, I probably thought I would have had a, a long career in football and, and maybe I took it for granted, I suppose. I thought the first goal would be the first of many. Uh, and and that, that's a regret, but, but yeah, I'm very proud of it. It's that, the, the way that you describe it is probably informed a little bit by the fact that you... You then didn't make it. Do you think if you had have made it and and you'd have you'd, the trajectory you'd have continued, you would have been caught up in the the footballer lifestyle? I mean, you, you very yeah. much later on say you know it, it's not you. But do you think you would have been? Yeah, so I actually asked the question in the book of myself. I think you know when I first you know going right further forward when I first you first meet Alan Shearer when he comes as the world's most expensive footballer. I'm sitting looking at the world's most expensive footballer across the table and and he was quite grounded and he was quite sensible and we had a cup of tea and a chat and. I think I went home and said, my wife, actually, we're not just getting an expensive football here, we're getting a sound individual, we're getting a good man. And I think I, I asked the question, I wonder what I have, how I would have been if I'd, if I'd, if I'd have gotten to that point. So, so, I, so I'm full of admiration for people who do get to that point, who still manage to keep their feet firm in the ground. Would I have changed? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I probably had a few more dodgy haircuts than I actually had, <laughs> but I had plenty as it was. But, yeah. I, but no, I, I think eventually your grounding as a, as a child probably, probably would see you through, I, I, I would hope. Um, what I think is really interesting about Alan Shearer is the way you describe him in there um, is, is a really interesting and kind of mm. quite an intimate portrait of, of Alan but he has an aura as well as being grounded he manages to have this kind of aura um, that you kind of describe quite well I think in the book because when you meet Alan Shearer you know he's Alan Shearer if that makes sense yeah well he's not, he's not a straight and valid is he yeah. so he's, not, so, so he's, he's you know, a very different personality than someone like me I think but actually um but I instantly didn't. I didn't. I got or yes, and I got that. But but just there's 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 a a warmth to him with his friends and a side to him with his friends. And I always I always used to say to 
to my wife actually you know it'd be nice for people to see that side of him doesn't need to let them see it cause he doesn't need to be he doesn't need to be touchy feely at all because he's an England centre forward and, and a great one at that but but it would be nice for, for people to I think if you're a Geordie and I think Geordies know what he is but I think if you're a Geordie and you really understood what he was about you know and you hear this nonsense about you know coming back for money and did he do that he came he came back because it was his hometown club yeah. and he and he, want, he wanted that moment here, anybody else in their right minds would have gone to Barcelona or yeah. Manchester United, probably. Um, but actually, he's, I try to I try to describe what he was like as a personality, and I spent a long time with him. But it's a very difficult thing to get that balance right between someone saying, "Oh, you're just being sycophantic," or "Oh, you're just being whatever it is." But actually, I can only speak from personal experience. For the last twenty years, I've had some dark times and some good times. He's been one of the very few loyal friends that have stayed with me through those times. Times that 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 you know that. That just that's what friends are for, regardless of being a, a professional footballer, regardless of being in the centre forward of the world's most expensive player. He's a friend that you can rely on and need, and I would think that I'm a friend that you can rely on and need, and I think that's where all relationships are built. So, yeah. so yeah, but he does have that. And Kevin Keegan had it now, and I mean, they walk in the room, and you know they're in the room, don't you? Yeah. Like but yeah, that's part of that's part of what makes them great, I suppose. Did you worry about writing about Alan? Because you know, there's not been a lot written about him. Obviously, he wrote his own autobiography, but. Um, I think sometimes it's, it's when you write a book, it's quite hard because you, you sort of you think something you're writing might be might help him. But did you show him any of it before? No, no someone asked me um, early in the process. Did you run Did you run the manuscript by Alan before you? And I said, Well, no, I didn't because it's my life and it wasn't it wasn't his life. And it would be it would be it would be a false it would be a false story if I ran it by him. So um, the first he he actually agreed to write the foreword for the book, um, and he wrote the foreword for the book, and then before the book came out. I sent him a proof copy of the book, and, and I'm I'm very proud to say he read it, and he read it in three days, and was very complimentary about it. And you know, he, and, he, and he's not the sort of person who would ask me to change anything. Yeah, I was going to say that. He, yeah. he just wouldn't do it. Even if he didn't agree with some of the things that I'd said in it, he wouldn't he wouldn't ask me to change it because some people, you know, some of the things I've said in the book about certain individuals, it's, it's not a it's not a tell all about Newcastle United, but there are certain pivotal moments with certain individuals that affected my life and my livelihood. I write those from my perspective. Alan's perspective is very different yeah. about about those things. He might not totally share my view. He might share it fully, but but you know he's written the foreword for the book and he, and he's written the, and I was I was touched by the things he wrote. It's, it's a very personal foreword for, for him, I think. Yeah, um, uh, but no, I didn't run it by him. No. Yeah, which is which I think is is probably um, you know probably the, like says a lot as well about your friendship with him that that he probably would have respected whatever you'd have written. I would have thought. Hopefully. Well, I think he would have known that I would have told. Yeah, I think he knows me well enough that, that, he, that he knows that what I, I've chosen to write something on a page that I believe in it. And I think I think if you if you have any friendship with anybody, I think you might have a different. But, but you think you just respect their view as long as you know that their view is heartfelt and it's and it's what they believe. Um, you know, we don't all have to all share the same politics. We don't all share the same beliefs. But actually, I, some of my friends have very different politics from me, very different beliefs. But they're my friends because they trust what I say and I trust what they say. Now, just a quick message from our sponsors. Are you looking for a brand new or used Mini or BMW? Then look no further than Lloyd Newcastle. They have an impressive range of all the latest Mini and BMW models, complete with the latest tech to keep you connected, entertained and safe on the roads. Such as the Mini Countryman, Mini's most spacious model, with optional all four four-wheel drive technology or BMW X-Drive, an intelligent all-wheel drive system offering a new dimension to driving enjoyment. With a whole range of optional features available, including head-up display, mini-connected, sat-nav, headed seats, parking sensors, stereo upgrades and more, you can really make your Mini or BMW your own. Or if you're looking for a used car to be proud of, they have over 600 approved used vehicles across the Lloyd Group available with competitive finance packages. 
For the latest offers and to see their used car stock, visit www.lloydmotorgroup.com or why not just pop in? You can find them off Barrett Road just up from St James's Park. Lloyd Newcastle, the way it should be. There's a lot of big characters in the, in the book. Yeah. Um, Kevin Keegan, um, you, you write, I think, really well about how, how it was to have Kevin Keegan in the, mm. in, in the club when you were there. I mean... The feeling of having Kevin, I, I think we, uh, he is accepted as being such a big individual in Newcastle's yeah. history. But I think when you're in the dressing room and you and you read what you've what you've written about him, I think it's it's a really really interesting period that you talk about there with Kevin and you capture him really really well. Was that was that a, a, a nice bit that you you felt writing about this this yeah, guy who's the, such the, a the strange thing about Kevin was for for, for well, not strange but for any boy of my age, I'm 52 years old now, so 1977, I'm 12 years old. He's he's he is football. Yeah. 1977, Liverpool are winning everything. They win the European Cup. They win the league losing to Manchester United in the cup final and Kevin Keegan is the first superstar that entered into my head and I think I talk about it in the book I think I dumped him for Mario Campes for a while while he was willing to do the ticker tape in the World Cup yeah. but in reality you've got this 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 and football wasn't like statutory coverage now it was sort of you'd see like match of the day on a Saturday I think you might get a midweek England game on TV in Ireland and we'd get it and he was just he just dominated everything so 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 fast forward three years later just after over three years later and I've just played in the first team at Newcastle and Arthur Cox set him next to me in the change room. <laughs> and it's the most, you know, it's the most, and I say in the book, I got lost in his shadow for a year. I did because I, I, it was hard to sit with someone, you know, you almost, you almost want to pinch him to see that he's real. <laughs> yeah. And he did have an aura because like, he was my hero. He was my, he was, he was as a boy, when, you, when your hero walks in the room, it's very different. I mean, you meet Alan Shearer as you're an adult and you've got a bit more sense about you. But but when, you, when Kevin Keegan walks through the door, and actually, he genuinely, and it's an easy thing, he just didn't disappoint as a person. He didn't mm. disappoint as a person, he didn't disappoint as a player. And I say to people sometimes, go back and visit Newcastle as a football club in just before he arrived and look at it three months after he arrived. He just completely transformed transformed everything about the football club. I made my debut in front of, I made it away from home, sorry, but I made my home debut and maybe in front of 11,000 people in the second division. You know, only three months later, there's 26,000 and Kevin's scoring his first goal for the club. And he... He just went out into the city, whether it was part of his contract or not, maybe, but he went out into the city into working men's clubs and, and I think he was just he, he he just he just was someone who just he just got the city uh, and I, I, I I've got nothing but positive things to say about Kevin Keegan I think I think as a as a man he was a, he was a good man uh, he's not you know he still is a good man I don't I don't see him very often but when you do he's still a very he's got that warmth about him Do you think he I've actually spoken to people who've said he, he, he changed Newcastle as a, a city and as a oh, place without doubt I think it was part of the, it was part of the regeneration of the city I, I don't. I, I, I'd like to go back and have a look at it now fully, but it's felt that way to me. It felt like it felt like in the eighties, when when that period, it felt like the city was changing when he during his little short period here, and then he obviously, you know, he got us promoted, and then he left and didn't sort of see the job through. Didn't 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 play in the first division for us, the old first division for us, which was a shame because I think he decided he had enough and he was going to retire. But to come back again, you know, mm. to come back again when the club is complete, probably worse than it was, mm. <laughs> worse than it was before, and in such a short space of time. Just grab it, just grab it again. I mean, I, we we can talk about the entertainers team and there's some great players there and there's, but the biggest presence and the biggest influence by far is him because he's dragging all those people with him and they're banging into him. Yeah, and 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 it must be the feeling of kind of sitting with him as a footballer. Um, I mean, you mention it in there, and there's a really nice anecdote in there. I don't want to spoil too much. No. But there's a really nice anecdote in there about where he's um, he's praised to high heaven, and um, yes. it, it, but he has this good way of almost managing you there, and I think there's a bit of a. You know, you, you almost say that fondly of like it wasn't a case of him just 
being really nice to everybody. He has a, he had a steel to him. Oh no, he was interested in you. I mean, I, I, I mean, it won't be spoiled in the book to say I, it was. It was. He he'd actually he actually described me very well in the newspapers and said I was going to you know I was the best young player I think he'd seen in, for that age. But actually, when I'd spoken to him about that to sort of thank him about it, he kind of just he kind of just put the other side to it. And I think he actually said to me something like, Look, "You can either be Manchester United or you can be Crew United. Mm. It's up to you." Mm. As it happened, injury intervened, and I couldn't be either. Yeah, but 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 yeah. So he had that. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. A, yeah, he was. A, he was a. He was a winner. I mean, I mean, he was. A, he, he, you know, I can remember actually running along in training, pre-season training. I was winter, I, I was a sprinter, but so I didn't like the long distance running. And I was running along in front of him, did a long distance run, and I was breathing really heavily, <laughs> like that. And and he just felt this clip around my ear. He said, "Stop! You're making me tired." <laughs> but he was, but he was, uh, but he was, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was, uh, um, you know, and he was the other end of his career to someone like me. So he didn't need to bother with any of the young players. But actually, he did come in and say, "Get your boots on. We're going out in the afternoon. Get a goalkeeper, and we're going to do some extra work with you." That's that. That's a pretty special thing yeah. to do when you when you when you're a world superstar and you're 33 years old, yeah. and you're taking a 16, 17 year old boy out to do that. I think that's pretty pretty special. I, I kind of felt the book had. Two distinct parts. The first act is kind of, I think, takes you up to the point at which maybe your um, your career your career's finished, and, and then maybe your mum your mum passes away. And then the second part of the book um, has some relevance to where Newcastle United are now, um, because you kind of you talk about Alan, um, but you've also obviously you come back with Alan later on, and, mm. and and the football club that you talk about in the second part of the book, of the second part of the book, and put quotation marks in here, is still the same football club really that we've we've got now. Um, in some ways and you go through the root hole you go through sub, the Sir Bobby times reading it and, and going back to it did you feel do you feel like almost a sense of regret even though you weren't a footballer then that Newcastle haven't won anything in that time that they haven't been the big football club that they so many times in the book you described them as getting very uh, close to being always there's always that regret sir. and I think that the biggest regret is just that period it, it just that period when Kevin was there it, just, it was just on the cusp of something even even that season, the season that Alan arrived, the summer he arrived, and the season before is the season when we really, really, everybody in the city thinks you're going to win the league, everybody in the football club thinks you're going to win the league, and actually, if you look back at that, there's this, there's this revision, revisionism sometimes about football, and it's, oh, Kevin, Kevin didn't have any tactics, and it was all this, and it was all, you know, Manchester United went on an unbelievable run, and that, because yeah, they'd been there before, I think mm. they were just more experienced, and all I can remember seeing at the time was, they won 1-0, and Eric Cantona had scored, that's what it felt like to me, they, you know, we made a draw, but they won 1-0, and that was the period of that team could have just won any kind of trophy at that particular point. I think everything gets transformed then. And then, you know, I describe it in the book, the, the day Alan Shearer arrived, you know, that, that's the end of that season. I mean, there, there isn't a person in the country that didn't think that was Newcastle United's final piece in the jigsaw, because I certainly did. Yeah. And I certainly thought, and actually, it wasn't like the next season when he played with Les that they disappointed. They didn't. We, no. just, we just, Kevin left. Kevin left within six months, which was was a shame. And then you've got, you've got Kenny, who's got the pedigree and certainly someone who gets a city as well as the football club because mm-hmm. he's shown that at Liverpool he got he got he, you know he, he he has the misfortune of following Kevin and no one can follow that at that particular yeah. moment because it was just magic at that point but then you know I, I read about it in the book then when you get a manager who comes in like Rude at that time who quite clearly doesn't get the city doesn't want to get the city then everything starts and everything starts to fall apart and when a football club falls apart it can fall apart in a week Mm-hmm. I mean, the mood of a football club can change in a week, and that can be reflected really easily. If you look at if you look at Bobby Robson when he arrived after Root, look go, look at the week period or two weeks period, the difference in someone like Alan Shearer's performance mm-hmm. and the team's performance, and that's that again for me is someone who comes in and gets the city and gets the football club, and and 
Yeah, it's so frustrating because because people people mock and I say we all the time. People mock us from the outside and say, "Oh, you're not a big club because you haven't." Of course, it's a big club because it's it's the it's the heart and soul of the city, and it's you know there, I bet you per head of population in terms of the attendance at that stadium compared to the actual population around there. I bet there's not another club in the country that's got that kind of yeah. that kind of following. So so and even people who don't know about football in Newcastle United. I mean, my my wife's not um, not a big football fan, but she, but they know how important the football club is and. If it does things the right way, it filters out into everything else. It does, and if you go abroad and if you go to places that there aren't football, you know, America or somewhere there aren't really football following. People are getting obviously are much better now. You know, there there are, there are three or four things people will say if you say I'm from Newcastle. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll say the football team. They get the football team. They might say Brown Hill. They might say Alan Shearer. They might say the Bridge. That but but the but the football the football and this city are synonymous with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and kind of the, the, going to the the end bit. And there's two. There's as I said, it's really not a tell book. It's not no. a it's not a kind of um, grab he- tabloid headline kind of book. But there are some a couple of really interesting bits that people have sort of pulled out that are in the latter stages of the book. And um, first of all, the kind of uh, your experience with um, coming back in with with Alan as manager, which is I think is probably and this is when I was covering the football club as well. So I see that as a, a massive regret that that didn't that didn't translate into something more substantial because Alan came in and was laying foundations that maybe Rafa's kind of doing now but mm. you guys came in and, and, and it didn't it didn't work um, what you, what's your kind of memories of that is that a, another bit of frustration for you that that didn't quite happen as it should have done yeah I'm pleased to pick up on, on, on the easiest thing to do with the book when it first came out was for people to pick up on certain bits and it looks like a sensational headline and actually what I'm hoping for is someone who sits down to read that book by the time they get to that that part of the book, they'll they'll understand that the narrator, me, is someone who's just trying to make sense of of a situation in any situation, in any workplace at any particular time. So, so we went into those, the football club for those eight weeks, and it was a. If you ask me at that time, I thought Alan had nothing to lose at that time. I clearly, even on reflection, I think he did. But at that time, it was the fourth managerial team of a of a, of a season that was completely dreadful. Yeah. And we walked in the door on April the first appropriately. Uh, and you know, I remember looking at two players, and I can't name them, but but just walking towards us outside, who were who were never going to play for us. And I remember looking at what their salary was and the bit of paper, and I looked at it and I said, "Do you realise that that how much that those two people are walking along there who are not going to play are going to cost us for the next?" And he just looked and said, "Jesus." Yeah. Uh, and then we played Chelsea. Before you know, you've got seven games, and it's tough. And you and you and, and he and he worked. You know, it's really hard for me sometimes not to appear sycophantic, but for me to watch someone like him put his heart and soul into it and he did and he worked so hard at it and he had a he has a you said he has an aura about him he has that presence about him I had absolutely no doubt I actually jumped off a legal career to go with him not just for that job but I thought he was going to be a manager he had a great presence about him he had the ability I think he wanted to do it and I think it, I think that experience for those eight weeks sadly for him I think it soured him I think mm-hmm. he, I think he I think he, I think he, it put him it put him completely off it we had other opportunities afterwards but I'm glad he made a career for himself now and where he is and he's doing well with it. But it was a, you know, I try to write about certain points in the book or certain moments, but I only write about them because they were the moments that were really pivotal to my future and Alan's future at the football club. So, you know, you know the, 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 the stuff that happened at the end with the owner, I write in there because actually I've seen misinformation about that in places and I, and I, and I don't like to see misinformation because actually I was there in the room and I know what happened. Mm. There's a quote from Mike Ashley which... Um, you know, if, if there's anybody out there who who's said is, is kind of attracted to that, which I think still informs what's going on at the moment, where Mike Ashley speaks about his intentions for the football club, 
this was nine years ago now. It's, it's, it's the summer of 2009, isn't 2009. it? 2009. Nine yeah. years ago. And, he, and, he, and, he, and, he see, and, and I can hear, I can hear him clearly say it. And I, and, and I know it, 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 it was a very, it was, it was an unusual turn of phrase for yeah. me because I wasn't in business and, and he, it was kind of a, almost a business phrase he used. But um, yeah, and, and it was essentially, essentially, without spoiling the book, it was him saying at that particular point, I don't understand this business. And, and he's I still here nine and years. And I never will. I want to go. Yeah. Uh, and maybe he's changed his mind several times since then and I don't know the man at all. I met him three or four times and on the surface all was very pleasant and all was fine. Um, however, how it finished and, and how, how particularly how it was left, which was just nothingness, just, mm-hmm. just you know, oh, we'll get back to you. Yes, we're all going to move in the same direction and then to hear nothing. Forget people like me. For someone like Alan Shearer who in a hundred years' time fans will still know his name, mm-hmm. I just don't think that that's how to treat someone like Alan Shearer. Do, in my view. do you think... Um, because I, I, I do a little bit that um, it, it is a bit of a shame that Alan hasn't hasn't had the chance to be a manager. I know he doesn't really he's it not a, interested in it. It's a big shame for me personally. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, I do. I think I think it's a lost. Hey, look, I, he he might not thank me for saying this, but actually, I think I think he had the potential to have a, a really really good career there and it'll be a really really big manager of his time I could see him as being England manager I could have at that time and it's easy for people to look back now and say of course not he, he hasn't done this and he hasn't done that but go back to when he just finished you would have bet anything that he would have been a manager I certainly would have and, 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 and he had all the had all the attributes and I've seen some good managers and I've seen some bad managers and I think he would have fallen on the good side but I would say that so what's next for the what's next for the book? Obviously, it's um, it's out there now, um, doing really well. Has there been any um, has there been any sort of talk of hey, you know, I've come, I'm not going to, but but a film or anything like that, or a documentary or anything like that? The the publishers and and the people around it think it has the potential to do that sort of thing. I actually I actually almost even saying that makes me feel about going to go. It sounds like God, he's, he's lost his mind. He's going to go, but um. I'm just glad it exists. Yeah. I'm glad it exists, and I'm terrified that it exists too. We started the, we started the conversation by by saying, "How do you feel about it?" Every single time I walk into a shop and I, and I and I see it, and I think someone's going to pick it up and read it, I'm terrified. But actually, then they come back and say, "Oh, really enjoyed that." And I think, "Oh, thank <laughs> thank goodness for that that you enjoyed it." Because the most important thing is that someone picks it up and enjoys it as a as a piece of work. I suppose it's a, you know when we started saying it's certainly hopefully I keep saying. It's, it's, it's not a book about football, but clearly if you're a football fan, there are things in there that, that maybe give you an insight into football that maybe you don't have before. But certainly anybody who's, who's just lived the life should, should, should recognise some of the things in it. Because I haven't even gone into it. As I said, I don't want to ruin the book, but there's, there's some fascinating stuff in there about Northern Ireland during the Troubles. There's, yeah. there's a load of things in there. I, I kind of want to get that across that it, it's, it's not a, just about football. It's not even just necessarily even about your life. There's a big scope of... The, you know what the UK was like in yeah. the seventies, eighties, uh, even into the nineties. That's the kind of book. And it's not. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a social commentary, but there's, there's 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 part of it. There's part of it that gives you should give you if I've written it correctly. It should give you a feel or a flavour of what it what it was like to live in in Northern Ireland during the seventies, which in most cases wasn't very pleasant for many people. Mm. And then also Newcastle in the eighties, because yeah. you know because I mean I was very acutely aware of the miners and yeah. the strike happening, and I'm acutely aware of Margaret Thatcher's dealings with the miners and I'm, 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 I don't think I'm particularly shy in, in, in expressing my feelings as to what I felt was happening at that time but um, yeah I, I hope I, yeah, I, keep, we, we keep, I keep saying to people I don't want to not sell the book but I keep saying it's not a football book and yeah. then I'm saying well it is a football book but yeah. actually it's just it's just a life yeah uh, in terms of you, you mentioned there about scoring a goal and uh, as, as some as a journalist like when, when my book came out that was you know the biggest thrill of, of my life 
How does it? How did it? I mean, it's not the same immediacy, obviously, but in terms of scoring for Newcastle and having this book out, are they just totally different things that you can't equate, or was is there the same sort of thrill in some ways that you've you've got this book out? That, yeah. Well, there's, there's different things that happen in my life that I'm, that I'm you know, you think, well, I'm, this feels like the best thing I've ever done. And, and scoring a goal for Newcastle United, I think I described it in the book as being electricity. It was like electricity flying through your body. And it was a momentary thrill that was has been unsurpassed in my life since. Um, this is a very different mm-hmm. very different thing. If, you, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a working class lad from, from Ireland who goes to secondary school, um, you don't think you're going to write a book. So to actually see a book in print that you've written um, is something really, really, it's an incredible thing to see. Something I almost look at it sometimes and think, is, is that, <laughs> yeah. it's like someone else, it's someone else has done it. But it's a bit like, you know, when they left the football club and you go off to be a barrister and, and you'd, you'd be putting these things in. I mean, the, the book, for people who don't know, the book is about a lunatic, that's me, striving to do things and really sometimes, yeah. strive, sometimes striving in the wrong direction, yeah. but just almost striving for striving's sake. Um, and the book, again, getting the book published is another one of those things. You had... You said you did it before me, and that, that's fantastic. I didn't think it was possible because I'd written a novel four years ago that no one had ever read that I thought was really, really good. But actually, this within within a week, I managed to get an agent done, and then I managed to get a publisher. It just happened so quickly. But you all know this industry. It's, that's hard. It's, it's hard. hard. So, I, so I never thought I'd see the light of day. So I am very proud of it. Absolutely. Brilliant. Um, and I suppose I'll finish with, um, you know, kind of, you say you keep talking about Newcastle as we. I mean, where do you see this? The football club at the moment, I mean the city to an extent, but the football club at the moment, it, it feels like there's elements of the Newcastle that you talk about with Kevin Keegan in there, there's elements of the Newcastle you talk about with Rude Hullet at Newcastle at the moment. That there's, It's a strange, you can't quite pitch where Newcastle is compared to the, the Newcastles that you described in the book. Well, it's difficult for me because I'm tar- I think I'm tarnished by my experiences. Mm-hmm. and so, so my own experience of the football club now is... I think in order for it to really move on, I hope I hope that the owner at some point finds a buyer, and then can move on, and then the city and the football club can feel connected again. Because I don't think I feel like it's I feel like it's an unhappy marriage or a marriage that may have broken down. And no matter how much you try and you try and cover over that, eventually those eventually those cracks are going to appear again. The person who's covering over most of it at the moment is the current manager, who without doubt gets the city. Mm. Without doubt is a great manager. He's done a remarkable job, even even steadying the ship at this particular point. But you know. What happens if he leaves in the summer? Or mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's. I hope, I hope, I hope the football club can go back to feeling like it belongs to the city again. And maybe that's me being overly dramatic about it. But then that's why I'm writing books because I am overly dramatic. But but yeah, it just doesn't feel. It doesn't feel like the football club's connected fully to the city for me. And that's not saying the manager isn't and the player isn't. I just feel like there's a disconnect. Fantastic, Paul. Thank you very much for, for coming along. Um, you've thank bared you. your soul in the book, and um, you know I think you've probably done over forty minutes here with me as well. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share the podcast, whether that be through iTunes, Audio Boom, Spotify, or whichever platform you may be listening through. And if you want to get involved with the podcast, you can do so via our social media channels. We're over on Twitter at Chronicle NUFC and on Facebook at the same handle, Chronicle NUFC. We want your questions, your topics, your feedbacks. Why don't you drop us a line and get in touch?